come up against a formidable foe. And the Bible tells us about it in 1 Samuel 17. It says, so the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was an excellent basketball player. He was over nine foot tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He had to be strong just to carry around that. So he wore this bronze helmet. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy as th- and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. This guy's got 125 pounds of armor, 15 pounds just on the spearhead. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carried, carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites and said, Why are you all coming out to fight? I'm the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down and fight me. If he kills me, we'll be your slaves. If I kill him, you're going to be my slaves, our slaves. And so he said, I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. Oh, no. Nine foot tall, a champion. But I still like to think that if this guy would say something to the men of Refuge Church, one of us would have went. I mean, we, we just couldn't take that, right? There's, there's a guy here that would have fought, right? <clears throat> All right, there was a lady here that would have fought? <clears throat> David planted his feet walked up to face the giant Goliath, and he said to him, in verse 45, David said, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Notice, you're just servants of Saul, and that's what was in their minds, except for there was this young man that said, no, I'm a servant of Saul. I'm a servant of the most high God. And he says, you said, I defy you, but you're not defying me. You're defying the God that I serve. And he says, today, he doesn't say, I'll take you down. He says, today, the Lord will conquer you. And as a result of that, I'm going to kill you and cut your head off. (laughs) Nine footer. 125 pounds of armor and a 15-pound spearhead. And this teenage boy's like, I'll take you down. And I'm going to cut your head off. He says, and I'm going to give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. The whole world's going to know because when God does something, just we just prayed for God to touch your need. God, I don't want God to touch your knee just to make you comfortable and sleep well tonight. I want God to touch your knee so you can sleep well tonight, be comfortable, and then wake up tomorrow and tell every single human being you know that God Almighty has met your need, delivered you, healed you, restored you, touched your family, provided in a way that's miraculous. 
Don't just assume when something goes well, it must have been the doctor's medicine or it was a good appointment. God should get the glory in every good thing that goes on in our lives. And so he says, I'm going to let the whole world know there's a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with a sword and a spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he is going to give you to us. Man, I like that level of faith. But I doubt I'm going where you think I'm going. Tonight, I'm going to talk to you about this. If you got what you asked for. If you got what you asked for. As David stood in front of Goliath and he said these things, what backup plan did he have? You know, you walk out and you're like, oh yeah, you defiled the God of Israel. I'm going to take you down, cut your head off. You know what? I changed my mind. I'm like, you're kind of out, your army's behind you. You would like to think they got your back, but they're just like, we're all going to die. Ain't nobody there b- believes in you. No one believes in you. And so there was no going back. Good thing he stepped out, though. Scripture tells us everyone else was scared. They didn't trust the Lord. They, they, it was an army of cowards led by a big king with a small vision. And when Saul tried to put the armor on David, he says, fine, you're the only guy. Let me give you my armor. So Saul gives him his own armor, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail. David puts it on, straps the sword on, over it, took a step or two to see what it was. I mean, just see this, this teenage dude, he just puts it on. He's like, all right, one, two. <laughs> he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he says. What does he say? He says, I'm not used to them. So David took him off again. David rejecting the wearing of the armor was much more than just the armor not fitting. David was not used to them because we had not read anywhere about David ever wearing armor. So David was not only rejecting what he was not used to, but really, he was rejecting all manner of Saul's dependence and direction. If he kills a man, killed him with Saul's sword, that was Saul's armor protected him. He was like, I think it was very intentional. I don't think it was just a kid that it was too heavy. I think maybe there's a component of that. But I think it was more of just also... This is not anything to do with Saul's way of life, his armor, his sword. I'm not dependent on that. The only thing I'm going to be dependent on when I walk onto that battlefield is my God. And so tonight's message, though, it's not not about David and Goliath and the battle like we think it is. It's, it's really about the larger picture of what was going on at that time. You see, when you rewind a bit from this encounter between David and Goliath, this was a military encounter for Goliath. But this was a spiritual encounter for David. 
The people of Israel desired to have a king over them, which the Lord said was their rejection of him. Now, some have said in the past, maybe you've said this or you've heard this said, that God never intended them to have a king. He was supposed to be their king. Has anyone ever heard this at any point in their lives? Well, I would argue that's incorrect. When the law of Moses is being given, God makes provision for a king. He gives specific guidelines for how this would happen. So if he was against it, he would have said, don't you ever dare have a king. But in Deuteronomy 17, he says, you're about to enter the land your God has given you. When you take it over and settle there, you might think, hey, we should select a king to rule over us like the other nations around us. If this happens, be sure to select a, as king the man the Lord your God chooses. You must appoint a fellow Israelite. He may not be a foreigner. The king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send his people to Egypt to buy horses. For the Lord has said you must never return to Egypt because we don't go back to the things God calls us out of. The king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. Boy, if the kings of Israel would have just remembered that one. And he must not accumulate large amounts of wealth in silver and gold for himself. When he sits on the throne as king, he must copy for himself this body of instruction on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. Why? You got to copy out the Old Testament. At that point, it would be the Pentateuch first five books, but he, he must always keep that copy with him and read it daily as long as he lives. There was an expectation if you're going to be in leadership, you should be in the word daily. That way he'll learn to fear the Lord by obeying all the terms and these instructions and decrees. This regular reading will prevent him from becoming proud and acting as if he's above his fellow citizens because when God calls you into leadership, you should be reading the word, but he didn't call you to lord over everybody. He says, you need to remember you ain't above anyone. It's just this is what God's called you to do. It will also prevent him from turning away from the commands in the smallest way, and it will ensure that he and his descendants will reign for many generations in Israel. It wasn't the problem with the king himself. God didn't, God didn't say don't have a king. He said it, it, was, it wasn't the king himself. The problem, I would state, is that it was Israel's motives. They didn't just want a ruler as any nation would typically have, but they very clearly state that they want to be like other nations. And God's got a problem with when his children are doing things out of temptation because they don't want to stand out, because they want to blend in with everyone else around them. And to this day, when you go to the New Testament, he, God is going to lay out things even for externals, just like he did for them. He lays out things about hair and clothing and manner of conversation. And he says, why? Because I have called you to come out from among them 
and to be separate. Now, he just got done telling the king, you better not be prideful. So it wasn't, we shouldn't walk around going, I'm better than everyone else around us, because that would just contradict everything he says in the word. But if we despise something that separates us or makes us different, or peculiar, peculiar doesn't mean odd, it's just different. A peculiar people, then we are giving in to the fact that we're going, I just want to be like everyone else. I want to blend in with everyone else around me. And in this way, they said, we want a king because we want to be like everybody else. For Samuel 8, he says, this is how a king, Samuel tries to warn the people of God. He's a prophet. So he's prophetically saying, this is going to not go as well as you think it will go. He says, this is how a king's going to reign over you, 1 Samuel 8, 11. He says, the king will draft your sons and assign them to his chariots and charioteers, making them run before his chariots. Some will be generals and captains in his army. Some will be forced, though, to plow his fields and harvest his crops, and some will make his weapons and chariot equipment. The king is going to take your daughters from you and force them to cook and bake and make perfumes for him. He will take away the best of your fields and vineyards. Sounds like that happened a time or two, didn't it? You ever read the story of Ahab? So take your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his own officials. He will take a tenth of your grain. He's going to your grape harvest and distribute it among his officers and attendants. He will take your male and female slaves and demand the finest of your cattle and donkeys for his own use. He will demand a tenth of your flocks, and he, you will be his slave. It's so interesting. He keeps demanding a tenth. It's a tenth because they wanted someone, and they wanted to be like everybody else. You know, God still demands a tenth. And if he's really your God, you'll give it to him. But when that day comes, you will beg for relief from this king that you are demanding, but the Lord won't help you. Now, it was all for naught that Samuel tries to warn them because after he gets done, the next verse, he gets done. I would, be, I would like to think that I would be sitting here with kids going, oh, that doesn't sound, I don't want that for my kids. I don't want my kids to have to do that. I don't want my daughter to do that, my sons to do these things. Verse 19, the people refused to listen to Samuel's warning. Even so, We still want a king. We want to be like the nations around us. But God had called them out. He says, don't go back to Egypt. I called you out of Egypt. When I call you out of something, I have promise for you. I have blessings for you. And you're saying you want to walk away from that to be like someone else? When I walk, watch people walk out of church and say, I'm done, I'm not coming back, what, what do you think you're walking into that's better than this? He says, no, you're not going to want this. No, 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 we want it. We want to be like everyone around us. Our king will judge us, and our king will lead us into battle. So Samuel repeated, what the Lord, or repeated to the Lord what the people had said. 
The Lord replied, do as they say, give them a king. And Samuel agreed and sent the people home. Now, I think sometimes we would just like for God to say, do as they say. And there's sometimes you've prayed a prayer that you would just like God to go, oh, okay, as you wish. I mean, and sometimes we would like that. But if I'm not walking in my flesh, I think I can step away and go, thank you, God, that you have not answered every prayer the way I prayed it. Thank you, God, that not every time I pray, he goes, as you wish, do as you say. You can see the heartbreak here. Samuel goes to the people after being a prophet for them for how long? And he's sitting there going, guys, you don't want to do this. This is what the future looks like. I'm looking at your kids. He probably dedicated some of the Lord to the Lord. Like he knew these families and a lot of me speaking to them. You don't want to do this. I'm telling you, I love your babies and you're not going to want them to live this kind of life. And they let him finish and go, we're done with you and your family. We want something else. So God says, give the people what they want. So Samuel anoints Saul, who looks the part, but lacked the fear of the Lord. And do you know what the name Saul means? It means the one you asked for. So God gave them the one they asked for. What would happen in your life? Right now, tonight, if God would give you what you asked for, what have you been been asking God for? If God said, as you wish, on this night, what would you receive? Would just your personal comfort level and preferences change? Or would the kingdom of God be impacted? Is your prayer, I want to be like everybody else. They drive that. They live there. They get to do that. They have this. I want that. Or is our prayer, God, I want revival. God, I want signs, wonders, and miracles. I want to know you. I want to be spirit-led. I want to teach Bible studies. I want to disciple people. I want to be led by you. I want to see people's lives forever changed. I want to reach the place of my employment. I want to speak to every person. I want every family member I have to love and serve you. Or our prayers, God, help me to get the promotion, drive a nice car, get more money, work a good job. What is it? If we look at ourselves here today before we judge the Israelites too harshly, is it possible that us humans are more simple than we like to admit? We want to act as though we have deep minds and intentions. But ultimately, our actions declare our direction. 
Last Wednesday, I talked about the DNA of vision. We talked about dreams, desires, and intentions. But unless our actions, unless we, unless we change our actions, our direction remains the same. So, altar calls are powerful. God changes lives at altar calls. And that's why I say come to an altar every time you come to church. Don't, I don't care if you were like, there wasn't one line in the whole message. If you think that I just totally missed it and just grabbed a, a sermon off of sermoncentral.com and copied and pasted it, and you thought, this guy don't even know what he's talking about, I still would not skip an altar call. There's not a time, and that's the way my mom and dad raised me, there's not a time I will come to church and not come to an altar. Because I'm going, God, is there something here that you want to speak to me? Or is tonight not necessarily for me to be ministered to? Are you calling me to minister? And so, Lord, I'm going to stand up right now and help me to see people at this altar through your eyes. I would never skip an altar call. But if all we ever do is come to an altar and say a prayer and not change anything, there's not much benefit in that. Because repentance is a turning about. It's a change. It's turning away from something to something else. Sometimes people think like repentance is this, I got to try and leave sin. Oh, God, help me. I just leave sin behind. I got to turn away from sin. And it is turning away from sin. But remember what you're turning away from is you're turning toward something better. I'm not just trying to walk away from sin. Oh, God, help me. Help me, forgive me. Oh, Lord, I, I got to stop doing that. Oh, Jesus, help me. No, no, I'm walking away from that because... Wow, my Lord, this is much, much more beautiful to walk with you than it was to walk in sin. And so there should be change. Actions change direction. Intentions do not. So if you're intending to do something in 2024, it's, 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 it's not going to get done. And I tried to really hit that hard last Wednesday for those who made it. It's not going to get done. But when my actions start to align with my intentions, now we're making traction. And direction is dictated by the model we imitate. So what right now? Who's the model? Who are you looking toward? That should be Jesus, or at the very least, it should be like Paul would say, follow me like I follow Christ. <laughs> so our direction is dictated by the model we imitate. So what model are you imitating? This is why children often grow up to be like their parents. You can sit there and go, yeah, and, or go, oh, oh, no. I mean, like whatever you want to do, it's nature, nurture. You have DNA of your parents, but you've also been taught things. And so you'll see weird stuff sometimes for some reason. I don't know why. Everyone tells me Jude is a spit image. He walks like me, supposedly. I don't know. I, did not, I never walked in front of Jude and said, no, this is how you walk. Like, you know, like I, I didn't have this conversation. 
But I'm assuming that he just watched me walk and thought that's the way that he's supposed to walk. So hopefully I walk cool. I don't know. But in their formative years, that was the direction they were imitating. Whether or not it's intentional later in life, there was something that was modeled in front of someone that they said, okay, hey. And so you take quick inventory. Take quick inventory in your, in your mind now of, of your finances, of your time of your material goods, of your hobbies. And therein you will find your God. When you think about, what do I spend my money on? Where do I spend my time? What are my hobbies? Material goods, what, are, what, what do these things point to? You will find God, your God. If we literally could go back over all of 2023 and compile statistics and details on these things, literally compile all the statistics of finances, time, material goods, hobbies, we would find our God. We would see what we orient ourselves toward. And in doing so, whether we want to admit it or not, we would find what or who we worship and serve. That's why, to me, I could get up and I could say to the church on Sunday, we have Wednesday night service. Everyone should be at Wednesday night service. What's wrong with you if you don't come to Wednesday night service? And I could try to make everyone feel horrible. I could try and argue with people, make, put on guilt trips and all these things. And guess what? Wednesday's attendance would probably go up for maybe two weeks. If I'm lucky. I like to think I'd swing, swing a little bit away to get two weeks, but maybe not. But at the end of the day, if someone's not willing to prioritize and say, oh, no, he's Lord of my life, I will be in the church for a service when the door is open. Oh, no, no, I will not miss a prayer meeting. Oh, no, no, no. There oh, I know I'm tired. Oh, I know I got a lot going on. I have an early morning. But God is the Lord of my life. I can't make that decision for someone. I, and I'm not even going to get up here and go, I'm going to make you feel guilty or terrible, try and guilt people that didn't come to a Wednesday. No. I want to preach to someone on a Wednesday who is here going, I am hungry for God. I want principles for life. I want my children in the classes downstairs. I want to grow as a family. I love our Wednesday night services. That's why I'm going to do everything I can to never cancel them, too. I value what we have on Wednesday nights. But for me, someone else, I can't put that value into someone else. Believe me, if I could make everyone's decisions for them, we would have already built three churches and we'd all be cheering for the Packers this weekend. <laughs> but not everybody's as godly, you know? I mean, uh, the story of, of Saul, David, and Goliath, it's not about men. It's not about characters, men. 
It's about kingdoms and allegiance. David was a man after God's own heart. This does not mean, this means, or this means that he did not look to the methods of surrounding cultures. Because <laughs> he would have never walked into a battlefield without armor. That's not the way they do things. And David was like, I don't care the way you do things. <laughs> because he was being raised in a culture later. What do we, what, what do we see? Uh, God, we just, we just looked at it. Gideon, hey, start with this many. I'm going to send you actually with 300, and you're going to go in with pitchers and trumpets. That's not the way we do battle. Look at the way the Midianites do battle, the Amalekites do battle, the Philistines do battle. God says, I don't care. I will do battle how I choose to do battle. Will you choose to trust me, or I will find someone else? And so, well, that time, it had influenced God's people. This we got at swords. We have to have this, and we have to have the coat of mail. We have to have the bronze shield. We have to have do the... David says, no, no, I don't use this. That's not what I feel God telling me to do because this battle is not me versus Goliath. It's not the Israelites versus the Philistines. It is my God being defied and seeing if he will be strong enough to stand up for himself. And I am putting my confidence in the fact that he will do a good job. And so it was, uh, it's, about, it's about, I don't have to look at the methods of, of other cultures. He didn't have to wear the army. He didn't have to be afraid of the, the giant like everyone else. Culture didn't dictate the values to which he lived his life. He let God dictate that. And he decided that God was going to be the one who fought his battles. So in 2024, we must understand that each church is simply an extension of God's kingdom. Refuge Church, we're not a standalone entity that's just, no, we're, we're just, we are all, a, we're an extension of God's kingdom. Therefore, we have a responsibility to aim this in the right direction. To follow up on what I spoke on the DNA of vision, are you praying about this upcoming year? And as you are, do not be distracted by secular models and measurements of what others deem success. Because to me, it doesn't, again, if we're going to a new building, we're just like, hey, we're going to go move cities and then everybody's going to come and sit in these pews. My goal is not just to get a crowd to sit in pews. We are called to make disciples. So even if we fill up a building and no one's being discipled, we're not doing our job. We're not doing, the, we're not in, walking in the extension of, of what God's calling to walk in, of his kingdom. And so don't pay attention to what someone else says is deep enough of a relationship with God. Because there will be people around you, maybe your friends, your spouse, family members, neighbors, coworkers. You go to church all the time. You serve. You're good enough. What are you talking about? You're way better than I'll ever be. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate your kindness. But my goal in 2024 is not to be deep enough based on the way someone else defines that. If I do, you know what? I might be the one hiding in a ditch waiting for someone to come along with enough faith to take down the giants that stand in my way. 
I don't want to just be deep enough. I think there were a lot of believers in Israel still. You can't convince me that every person in the entire nation of Israel was backslidden and no longer believed in God. But I will say that there wasn't someone who was walking deep enough with God that could say, hold it, what are we doing? How are we going to let this guy defy? He ain't defying us or our king. He's defying God. And there's no chance that I'm going to sit here in this ditch and hide out afraid. If I die, I die. But my goodness, I'm walking out there and I'm going to give God a chance to be who he says he is. And that's what I want in 2024. I just want a church. I want an army. I want, to, I, want, I want to do battle with a group of people that are like, hang on a second here. We ain't hiding out. Everywhere we put the soles of our feet, we're going to be an extension of Jesus Christ. And we don't just need, well, this is the, the refuge vision. This is what pastor wants us to do. No, we are an extension of the kingdom of God. And so everywhere, we go. That's not just a Sunday service. When you punch a time clock to go into work, you are, you are clocking into your mission field. I want to just know that some people are walking all around the greater Kansas City area going, I'm going to be in 2024. I'm going to be on this Thursday, tomorrow morning. I am going to be who God is calling me to be. And if that's all we do, simply say, I am going to be who God is calling to be to be in 2024. Because if that's all we do, whoa, it's going to be a pretty phenomenal year. But we just have to have someone that says, I ain't hanging out. You know, David wasn't even there. His, his dad sent him with, you know, the bread and cheese for the brothers. And he just shows up. Don't let yourself get so accustomed to sitting in these chairs and coming to this building that you get rocked to sleep. Because don't you ever stop and go, how in the world did they get to that? How'd they fall that far? At what point did you go from the miracles of Yahweh, Jehovah God, to the <laughs> He's nine foot. Dude, did you see the size of his spearhead? I ain't, there ain't no chance. We can't take him. Ain't no chance. No way. Rumor has it. His, I didn't come in front of this camera on purpose, but. <laughs> rumor has it. His coat of mail is 125 pounds. Bro, I'm not even 125 pounds. <laughs> Has anyone seen Saul? Yeah, man, he's hiding out in his tent. Don't we have any good warriors? No, bro. I mean, how in the world did we fall that far? And some kid comes along. Hey, guys. I brought the Velveeta. Like, Dude, get down. Why? And he hears this guy come out. And I just, I can imagine his brother's like pulling him down and he's just like, 
What are we doing? He's not defying the king or us. He's defying God. And I'm confident that God can do something about it. And you know what? God can. Do you know how many miraculous things God can do tomorrow? But for whatever reason, God chooses to use vessels. God could have freed the Israelites out of Egypt 430 years. He could have done it any one of those 430 years. But he rose up a deliverer. Moses, I'm going to send you back into sin because I'm calling you to deliver people from a land of sin. But I can't, I can't. You don't know. You can't. Gideon, I'm calling you. But I can't, I can't. Yes, you can. God wants to do signs, wonders, and miracles. But he's waiting for a vessel. Will you be that vessel in 2024? Will you be that person? How many miracles are not being done? How many lives are not being changed? Because we've settled in a ditch and we've gotten used to listening to the giants in our lives. Say, y'all can't take me. Ain't gonna do nothing about it. And we're praying. We're going, God, deliver us. And God's going, I'd love to. Give me a man. Isn't it interesting that God and Goliath were both saying, give me a man. Give me a human being. Give me a person who's going to let me win this victory using them as my conduit. How many times are miracles not happening because no one's willing to rise up out of the ditch and go, how dare you think you will defy my God? I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut your head off. And there's going to be no life in you, you demonic, foolish spirit that thinks you're going to come into my home, into my church, into my workplace. I, you ain't going to defy my God, and you ain't going to defy me. It's going to stop right here. In 2024, I don't want to call on you to be what you can be this year or even what I think you can be this year. I want you to become all that Jesus is calling you to be this year. That's it. The only thing, I'm not saying serve in this ministry, give here, do this, make sure you come to this, serve here, give this, oh, dedicate your heart, oh, do this. I'm not, I'm not saying all that. All I'm saying is just be everything Jesus is calling you to be in 2024. If we all, if just the group of people here tonight walked in what Jesus is calling you to be in 2024, we will change the entire 
greater Kansas City area in one year. If just us here tonight walked in what Jesus called us to walk in, who he called us to be, the entire region in one year would find out who God is. David was not in this for the glory. He said, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to cut your head off. And then everyone here that's hiding out in these ditches, they're going to be reminded the God that they serve. But it's not going to just be them. It's going to be everybody in these regions that everyone is going to find out the God that we serve is still powerful and still alive. And so if we say, hey, God, I want to go be what you want me to be. It's not for my glory. It's not for me to be elevated. It's not for me to be the superstar. But God, somehow in 2024, when does 2024 start? It starts today. It starts tomorrow. It starts right now. This is not a vision message for next year. This is a vision message for tonight where you go shopping and fill up with gas and eat food tomorrow morning where you go to a job and to school tomorrow. This starts right now where we go, God, help me to be that person. Help me to walk that walk. If you want to hear what God is capable of doing in your life this year, if you want to see what he has planned to become what he envisions you to be, do not just look on social media. Don't just ask your good friends, see how others worship or pray, or even compare yourselves to other people you think are just super spiritual. How about grab your Bible? How about when he says you're going to choose a king, get in the word every day so it keeps you humble, so you're reminded about God's plan for you. That, that started with a king back then, and guess what? He calls the New Testament believers, kings, and priests. So you want to still align and be the king and the royalty that God has called you to be in this day and age? Then you still need to grab the word every single day and go, I'm going to stay humble. I'm going to be reminded of what God has for me. I'm going to determine to open that up. I'm going to get in, in a prayer closet, determine to fast a day a week, make a commitment to be in church when the doors are open, get in a small group, invite someone to church every single week, teach a Bible study, and give God a chance to see what he can do with you in the next 12 months. Goliath looked at David and he didn't see much. Saul looked at David and he didn't see much. David's brothers looked at David and they didn't see much. David's own dad looked at David and he didn't see much. But David was looked at by God and God said, there's a warrior. There's a king. There's a man after my own heart. There's the seed of Jesus Christ. I'm going to come. I'm going to manifest myself in flesh through that boy's seed right there. So what does God see in you? If God gives you what you're asking for right now, what changes in 2024? Is it just a new vehicle or a nicer house? Or is the greater Kansas City metro forever changed where there's signs and wonders and miracles and there's anointing upon you? What changes? And so right now, I invite you to come to an altar to begin to verbalize what you want to see 
see God do in your life and through your life in 2024. Begin to verbalize those prayers. And I, I just wonder if there's some people that are, are, are you content in the ditch or is it time to rise up and say, oh no, my enemies will not defy the living God that I serve. I am going to walk in a new level of faith, a new level of anointing. I'm going to walk with purpose. I'm going to walk with faith. I'm going to walk with boldness, not because it's just me and I got this to offer and people don't know me. No, they need to know my God, the God that I serve, who's capable of anything. He can take down any giant that's standing in your way right now, but you got to get up and give him a chance. Jesus, I pray right now over this church. Anybody watching online, anybody here tonight, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, help us in our minds to purpose that we're going to be what you call us to be. Not our, not our vision, but your vision. Not our goals, but your goals, Lord Jesus. That we're going to walk in that level of anointing, that level of authority, that level of expectation, that level of boldness, God. Help us, Lord. God, if we could just get a vision of your plan for our lives. Let us think bigger. It's not just trying to be at church when a door is open. It's about changing the greater Kansas City metro. It's about the fact that if we all walked in your purpose, God, this whole greater Kansas City area, Lord Jesus, hundreds of thousands of people will hear about you, that you will get the glory from our lives and our words and our thoughts and our actions, God. Help us, I pray, this year. Help us, I pray, Jesus. Let our prayers be eternal. Let them be spiritual. Not just temporary, temporal things. Help us, Lord.